0: We even have discussion internally is about like, well, how really important is the homepage? You know, when we think about the homepage, we should be thinking about the repeat visitor, not the first visitor. Because a lot of times your first impression with the builder, you're might be, you know, res, you know, might be clicking on a Google ad. You might be clicking on a Facebook ad. Uh, maybe you Googled an address and and hopefully you're going to some kind of listing detail page, right? You're going to a community page, a plan, a spec, something like that. A lot of times they don't hit the homepage until they remember your brand. And then they just search your name and then they see your homepage. So we, we absolutely recommend putting, you know, the focus on those pages and optimizing those pages for the behaviors and the conversions that you want.
1: Hi, and welcome to Building Perspective with Matt Riley and Molly Elfman.
2: We're here to bring value to you and your team by exploring all things sales and marketing related.
1: All from different perspectives. Today, our focused discussion of the week is home builder websites and data trends with our guest, Dennis O'Neill from O'Neill Interactive.
2: But first, let's dive into our top topics of the week.
1: What do you have this week, Molly? What do you have for us?
2: Okay. So here in Philadelphia, there is this amazing science institute that people from all over come to see, and it's called the Franklin Institute. And in the Franklin Institute, there is an entire area that is called your brain. And I go there all the time with my kids because we actually live right by it. And they have this, um, you know, jungle gym that is supposed to be like inside your brain. And it sounds kind of weird, but you'll see when you click on the link. Um, What is fascinating to me about this is um, really everything that we're talking about from about marketing and even just our podcast in general, Building Perspective, it is all about thinking about how we think, right? So to me, um, this fascination with the human brain and just how we look at information is always very intriguing. And one of the things that I want to share with our listeners is just one of these images. This is an image where you you will initially see one thing, but then as you look closer, you can see that there's another image in there as well. And I know all of us have seen these kinds of things before, but what's amazing to me is how our brains adapt to Images and information, um, and all of that, of course, applies to marketing and what we're doing. So, this is this is something that I like to study. I'm not even close to smart enough to um, really study the brain. You know, I I um, I know some neurologists, and I I know enough to keep my mouth shut when I'm in the room with them. <laughs> um, I like to study more of like the psychology side of it, and just kind of how we process information but this is really an evolving thing. And now there's conversation around neuroethics. Have you ever heard that term?
1: No, I've not heard neuroethics.
2: So neuroethics is really the impact um, the brain science is having on our society because we, as we learn more and more about the brain, we are able to manipulate what people see. So again, this image um, you, you remember the image of the dress that was going around on social media and it was, oh, yeah. do you see blue or do you see white? And, you know, now that we're starting to understand how the brain processes information, you actually, um, are able to start manipulating that. And what if, you know, it's like that there's a movie, uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. I don't know if you ever saw that Matt, but huh. this concept of manipulating memories and, All of that and the advancement of that would potentially affect our industry because of positive memories and all these different things. So as science is evolving, neuroethics are becoming something that we're going to be talking about more more and more from a marketing standpoint because of how we're studying the brain. So I just find this stuff fascinating. So I'm going to put a link in here to this specific... Institute here in Philadelphia, but I could talk about this stuff all day. Check out that image and let us know in the notes what you see first when you look at this image.
1: I love it. I love it. I actually find all of that stuff fascinating as well. I have this magazine that I bought at the airport like a week and a half ago when I was actually, well, a week ago when I was in Philly, I have started it. It's this Time magazine. It's uh, the special edition of Time, The Science of Memory, um, the story of our lives. This has built a sharper mind to race bad memories and what animals recall. I find and for me, I like to look at and have a better understanding of why people remember things, certain ways, what causes the memory trigger to go off to, you know, for that, to file it back for that long-term memory instead of just that useless, not okay. I only need this the next, for the next 15 minutes. And I'll never recall it ever again. But I find that stuff fascinating. I could read on, read about that stuff forever. Uh, so I'll, I'll check that link out too. It's really good. You
2: better save that one for me. I want to read that.
1: I'll finish it and bring it to you. Yeah, for sure.
2: Okay, cool. Yeah,
1: it's a good one. All right. I, In talking about like how the brain works, um, there was something, Molly, you actually posted this. We have a little group to Facebook group chat for our inside our company and you actually posted this link and this is where I saw the the video itself, but I'm sure it, it only has a mere 200,000 views on it. Um, but it's an older interview with Bill Hader, who's on the David Letterman show, which obviously in itself means the interviews old, but it was live TV and they, they do, they're doing this, they call it deep fake and you've probably seen it or heard it, but this particular one as, Bill Hader is talking about a movie that he recorded with Tom Cruise and Seth Rogan. It actually morphs Bill's face into Tom Cruise's and Seth Rogan's as he's talking, changes their voice, changes the face. Like you, and it's completely seamless. Like, freaky.
2: You guys have to watch us. It is almost as the stuff of nightmares, right? It's creepy.
1: (laughs) And it is freaky and amazing. It's like two minutes long. We'll post the video in the show notes. You can watch it. And if you Google deep fake, you'll find other things as well. So how does that tie into what we do? Well, so there's an article on social media today and they're talking. And so Facebook is establishing some new research challenges right now, to develop improved detection of deep fakes. And in this particular article, it has what was president Obama, or I guess still is president Obama, but it, you know, it's having, having him speak and he's talking about just random stuff. You can tell it's not quite his voice. And they did that in particular to make sure that you could tell it wasn't him, but his lips and everything were perfectly in sync. They were not words that he was saying. And, it's, it's crazy. And then at the end, they're showing the person who's actually recording it speak and side by side with um, the video of Obama, which was an older interview that Obama gave. And you start thinking about this deep fake stuff and how good this technology actually is and like what impacts does this actually have on us as, in general as a society? I mean, it's crazy.
2: Yeah, it it really is crazy. Like, think about that. If you record something and someone can use that and change it or change your face and make it look like you said something you didn't say. To me, it goes back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago or a few episodes ago um, about is it possible to have a fair election anymore? Mm. And, you know, like fake information that's out there, fake news. I mean, that's a real thing. And so again, (laughs) it goes back to that. Like now you, when you guys watch this, this video, you're going to see like, you almost don't believe your eyes because it looks so real. So now you can see content and hear a voice and potentially not even, you don't even know if that's authentic. So it's it's interesting.
1: Yeah, it, it is. And so, I mean, all these tech companies, Facebook, Google, everybody's going to have to get involved to help kind of combat this to make sure that, you know, who's to say that you just don't take a video of a politician, of current president Donald Trump saying something and you just make him say something completely different or me or you, not that we would have near the impact that you know a a politician or the pre, a president of the United States would have or someone in that type of position it can be a little scary so i mean even here facebook is dedicating 10 million dollars just to fund the research and they're going to be like using paid actors to essentially create deep fake videos so then they can essentially work the math backwards and try to reverse engineer this thing and uh, see that if they can't create some tools that can detect when these deep fake videos have been created. I mean, what do we get to? Do we get to where we have to record like you're walking around with like a body cam on to show like where you actually were?
2: Yeah, it's very weird. And you know I'm I'm watching Mindhunter right now and
1: I just started watching that.
2: It's making me think about the criminal justice system. Like what how like how can you prove that you weren't somewhere? And then they have a video of of you doing something. I mean, it's got to affect that. So that's a little plug for Netflix's uh, Mind Hunter. It's really good, and that that's one that'll mess with your mind a little bit.
1: I'm only a couple episodes in, and it's it's I like it.
2: It's interesting.
1: Are you into season two or see, are you still in season one?
2: Yeah, I'm into season two. So uh, All right. it's a good one to binge watch. It gets you thinking.
1: I downloaded a bunch because I think it's going to be my airplane movie choice.
2: It's a good one. Um,
1: you definitely can't watch it when the kids are awake.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> At least the ones I've seen. Uh, yeah, no, no kids around kind of show. All right. Good stuff. Check those links out in the show notes below. I think you'll find both of those really, really intriguing and maybe a little frightening at the same time. Um, but all right. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and when we come back. We're going to bring Dennis O'Neill from O'Neill Interactive and we're going to nerd out a little bit. We're going to talk about home builder websites and data trends and really and kind of dive into some things about what you can look for as a builder, maybe things on your website, some data trends that you can look for. So really great conversation. Can't wait to have Dennis back and, uh, back here and chat about that here in just a bit. So hang on. We'll be right back. Right. And we are back. And today we are diving in with our focus discussion of the week is home builder website and data trends. And we have our special guest with us this week, Dennis O'Neill from O'Neill Interactive. So thanks so much for coming on the show, Dennis. Appreciate you being here.
0: My pleasure. Thanks so much for the uh, invitation. Always eager to chat, marketing and websites.
1: You know, it's kind of what we do, right? It's like uh, just. It's is it talking shop or is it just nerding out? Well, I don't know which one it is. It's both, yeah, you both right, yeah. I uh,
0: it, it's all fun, right? So that's that's the nice thing about enjoying what you do for a living. It's uh, it doesn't feel like work, so yeah.
2: So, Dennis, I we're of course so happy to have you. I I can't believe that I don't even know your background history of how you got into the industry. So I, i been wanting to know that. Can you share with us just what your path has been and how you got to where you are?
0: Absolutely. Um, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting road as I'm sure it is for, for most people is how they end up in the industry. I started, uh, my first experience, um, In home building was, uh, well, I guess really 99. I had a friend that started working for Ryland Homes, uh, national builder at the time. Ryland has since been merged and acquired and is now actually part of the Lenoir family. But I had a friend that started working for Ryland in 99. And, uh, you know, we were good good friends, kept in touch. And then when Ryland had a sales opening, um, essentially got me the introduction and I started as a new home sales trainee in January of 2000. Huh. And, uh, you know, it was an interesting time in the market. You know, um, it was sort of like right at that not not great, not horrible time. Like I remember the first, uh, my first buyer locked in uh, on an FHA at 9%. Um, so... Not great, right? <laughs> but but not the teens, at least, like it was in the 80s. But uh, I had uh, I worked for Ryland for a total of uh, eight and a half years. Uh, I spent my first four years with Ryland uh, in new home sales. I spent my last four and a half years with Ryland in some various sales and or marketing management capacity, always in the Baltimore division. But in 2008, right in the the sweet spot of the market, right, if anybody remembers that year, <laughs> It's uh, for some strange reason, I decided that was the time um, to sort of make an exit and um, focus initially on consulting with builders and marketing. I um, had a technical background, uh, never professionally, but uh, a technical background before home building and uh, really just saw an opportunity with obviously builders needing so much help on the web. So in 2008, I started o and you know, it was originally just me. Uh, we've grown to a team of sixteen. We're based here in Baltimore. We work with builders all across the country, uh, and we are most known for our uh, website developments. And we're specifically dedicated to the home building industry, so we only work with builders. Um, so, thankfully, I've been able to stay in the industry, and and really, I feel old when I'm say when I say that I'm coming up on twenty years in the building industry.
2: Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah. And we, you know, I never knew your background and, and we are, you know, we get to do a lot of work together and, and yeah, Matt, I know wants to dive into all the, the geeky questions, but I wanted to know, you know, I wanted to know a little more about you and your story and your background. And um, it sounds like you made a really good choice to uh, leave at the time that you did.
0: Yeah. It was a transitional time in the industry, as they say, right?
1: Nothing says good timing like starting a business at a in a the Great Recession. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know,
0: well, you learn how to to survive and grow when, exactly. when times are tough. And it just uh, you know, it, it sets you up to be frugal when when times are good too, right? Yep. So I can't complain. It's been uh, I learned something new every yeah. day. Every yeah, day. That's awesome.
1: We're good. All right. Okay, mm-hmm. so Love the background. I love that, like me, we both started on the sales side of things, right? I love, because yep, yep. I, I think when you come from a sales background, especially like selling in this industry, you sell, you actually sold homes. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that gives just you a different perspective on a, a different look um, than someone that just comes in and says, yeah, I know how to build a website or I know how to do digital marketing. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. You help people, you know, sell shoes. It's Mm -hmm. a lot different than selling actual homes, right? So, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I I totally agree. Uh, It's you know, of course, I'm a little, you know, we we might be a little biased in our opinions, right? But uh, but, maybe. But definitely having that frontline experience, I feel like, gives you a, a really just a a wonderful sort of picture of of not just the the builder, you know, and and how they function internally, but. Really, to understand the entire client experience, all the way from, you know, obviously marketing and, and filling the funnel, which has obviously been my focus for, for, you know, the last uh, eleven years or so, sort of filling the funnel with website leads, but then obviously going all the way down through, you know, the site visit, the close, the contract, the construction process, you know, all the way down to the actual
1: closing on the home itself. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right. So talking about builder web and understanding that. So we talk about analytics, data and analytics kind of go hand in hand, in my opinion, with the actual website. You really can't have one without the other because they help Mm -hmm. each other, you know, drives the decisions. So one of the things that we always do when we bring on, you know, we're bringing on a new client is the first thing we always do is dive in and we start looking at from an audit perspective, auditing the things that are happening right now, but starting with the website, cause it's the central hub of all of your digital marketing efforts. And so for you guys and you and your team, what is, what is it the, the things, the key things that you guys look for, um, or I should say, look at when it comes to like, if you're looking at a builder website and you know, you're going to, yeah, you know, how, how, what are the things you focus on from a an, either an audit perspective or you know key, focusing on key improvements? Yeah, no,
0: great question. And so I'll say that most of the time when we start those kind of conversations with builders, um, oftentimes a builder is either already engaged with us to to update their web presence, right? So most of the time we're we're basically. Some, a lot of times the conversation is just what's not working, right? What do we want to do better the next time? So that that is probably a more common scenario for us than auditing what they're currently working with. But sometimes they need that sort of help to try to figure out that you know maybe they, they don't know exactly what's not working about their current site, but they know something is not working. You know, it's not doing what it should for them. Typically, when we start that kind of conversation, um, there's a few different places that we go, Um, You know, we go from, um, you know, I guess builders, I'm going to back up just a little bit. Builders have sort of a unique challenge in terms of the web presence in that we really have this uniquely long buying cycle, right? So the, the website itself really has to support buyers at multiple stages of the buying cycle. So what we typically do is we're going to look at two major sort of halves of things. And I guess you sort of, I understand that you guys are talking about sort of how the brain processes information, but you know, you've got that sort of emotional side of the attachment and trying to make sure that the website itself is communicating the builder's messaging properly. And we have a, a statement internally that says there's no such thing as neutral design, right? Every design is making a decision, is communicating some kind of message, so we often will review the site to be able to see whether or not it's really communicating what the builder thinks it is. What you know, what the builder likes to see themselves as who they are, you know, does this website tell that story to a visitor? Uh, and the second thing we're gonna look for is, is the data, right, so <laughs> um, is it converting, right? Is it, yep. are people behaving the way they would? And unfortunately, a lot of times when we have these conversations, it's, is the website even prepared to communicate that information accurately, it's probably uh, it's one of the most common challenges we see when we're reviewing a, a builder's existing website that they're you know either their event tracking or their goals are just sort of all over the place. You know you can tell there's been thirteen different marketing people that have been in you know through their marketing office and department internally, and they've all named the goals something different, or they've set up different uh, events from here or there, and you end up with this sort of unreliable mush of data. So some a big part of it is sorting through it to see exactly what we can trust, what's working and what's not, right?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, garbage in garbage out. I mean, yeah. it, it, when you're talking about what's the what's the ultimate end, uh, you know or what's the or the ultimate job of the website, and that is to essentially drive qualified traffic to the model homes, right? Or mm-hmm. convert convert some a visitor to an actual lead, yes. and if you've got goals and conversions set up in the back end of of analytics that are, have nothing to do with actual conversions, right? Like conversions to lead, then right. you're right. looking at a you're you know you're looking at a mixed bag. You don't know, you really know what you're looking at, and you don't know how things are accurately performing.
0: Yeah, I mean I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen it too. Occasionally, you'll somebody will have goals that'll be like. Um, a goal is that somebody spent a minute on the website. <laughs> you know, I, that's all that's that's that makes you feel good, but I don't really think yeah. you can call that a goal. You know, if 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 we're really trying to break it down into cost per lead and eventually cost per sale, a minute on the website, eh, nice to know. Um, it's not really
1: what you're after, right? Yeah, no, yeah. no question. Mm-hmm. What do you think? You know, because a lot of times when people will look at the website, they look at everything and they kind of use that big broad brush stroke of like everything created equally throughout the site itself. Do you, I mean, how do you guys break down looking at a site? I mean, are all pages created or you can't see my air quotes equally? (laughs) I can feel the air quotes. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. You can feel them. Okay,
0: good. Um, I I would say that they're not, Um, you know, and, and I would imagine you've probably, you know, you're seeing the same, data, you know, there's um, some builders are really interested in talking about, you know, their about page and really wanting to talk about their process page. And they're really wanting to talk about some of the, you know, the the more emotional messages. So I'm, I'm not trying to say that they're not important, but as data will show you, those are not really the pages that people spend the time on. Uh, not at all. Yeah, they really don't. I mean, our and we even have discussion internally is about like, well, how really important is the homepage? You know, when we think about the homepage, we should be thinking about the repeat visitor, not the first visitor. Because a lot of times your first impression with the builder, you might be, you know, res, you know, might be clicking on a Google ad. You might be clicking on a Facebook ad. Uh, maybe you Googled an address and, and hopefully you're going to some kind of listing detail page. Right. Right. You're going to a community page, a plan, a spec, something like that. A lot of times they don't hit the homepage until they remember your brand and then they just search your name and then they see your homepage. Yeah. So we we absolutely recommend putting, you know, the focus on those pages and optimizing those pages for the behaviors and the conversions that you want. Doesn't, you know, we go back to that sort of importance of being able to communicate who a builder is because as much as consumers are so focused on on, not analytics data, but the other kind of data, you know, bedrooms, bathrooms, prices, square footage, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, they want to get right to the to right to it. They do. They do, and I, we look at the goal of the website as to to give them that, but we also, we also wanted to slow them down, right? Like we know that consumers, you know, like you're clicking around, like every three seconds, you know, everybody's got sort of the ADHD on the web and you're not really spending time potentially uh, digesting other messages that, that you really want, or that, that we as, you know, builders want the consumers to, to feel and hear because, Otherwise, if, if only thing we do is communicate the data, which is critical that we do, but if that's all we do, then unfortunately we end up competing on data points, right? And nobody wants to just compete on price per square foot. That's just the race to the drain, right? Nobody yep, wants to right. be the first one to, to, to basically the first one to zero. So, right. you know, the slowing people down with, you know, sort of noteworthy or surprise worthy design, being able to take some of those emotional messages that maybe previously have been like siloed over on the about us page or siloed over in the blog, you know, let's try to bring in some of that relevant content so we can sort of mingle it in with some of those data points. So that way we've got the opportunity to give them what they want, but hopefully slow them down enough so where we can try to differentiate ourselves with more than just price. Right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and honestly, Going back to on-site sales days, the job as the salesperson. I was, if I'm talking to a sales team, i always say, you know, when a customer first walks in, what is your goal? And I was Well, to sell them a house. Well, you're not going to sell them a house in the first two minutes. Mm-hmm. Your your primary goal is to slow them down and to get them bought into spending just a little bit more time with you. Yeah. And each incremental three or four minutes, your job is just to get them to spend another three to four minutes with you. It's kind of the same thing as what you, like I correlate that to what you were just saying is let's, we Mm -hmm. also have to slow the user on the website Mm -hmm. down so they can interact with all the great stuff we have.
0: Exactly. That's a great comparison. You're right. Cause it's, you know, it's sort of the equivalent of uh, you know, somebody hitting your website and just looking for a price is the equivalent of that prospect walking in the sales office and going, I just need a brochure, please. (laughs) you know, which, um, same, same exact scenario, same exact scenario.
2: Yeah. So Dennis, I, Um, I came into the industry about when you started your company and I, of course there've been so many changes since then, but I don't think anything changes as quickly as website best practices and digital. And I, I do want to talk a little bit about some of the trends that you're seeing because, Um, As an industry, we kind of get this best practice and everyone starts to follow that. And then um, there seem to be shifts that just happen all the time. So I'm curious from a user experience standpoint or just from a design standpoint, what are some of the changes that you're seeing more recently that are becoming more industry standard?
0: Yeah, it is. I totally agree. It changes so fast, <laughs> um, which is both the most exciting thing and some days the most frustrating thing around digital marketing, right? And websites mm-hmm. in general. It's uh, a yeah. Technology changes our opportunities almost daily. Um, and it always, of course, has an impact on, you know, what is the best possible practice for the website itself, right? So, as new opportunities come to light and new features come to light, then it's more like, well, these are great new shiny tools that we can all nerd out about, but uh, how do we actually use them to be valuable, you know, to, to support the builder's business, but of course, also to support the customer journey itself. Um, So some of the, I guess some of the newest things are, you know, well, first of all, I'd say there's there's still content is, is still king, which is not really new, right? But I just always sort of like to remind builders of that sometimes that you can have the most gorgeous frame of a website, right? Which of course is that's its key job is to frame the builder's listings. You want somebody to come to your website and say, boy, that builder builds beautiful homes. You don't want them to say, boy, that's a beautiful website, right? So we got to make sure that the product itself is the focus and the brand is the focus of the experience. Um, so that's not a new thing. But I would say the biggest things that we're seeing in terms of um, trends in website performance in general is what we can do with the data that's collected throughout the customer experience to be able to support marketing at different stages of the customer journey. And some of this ties back to what we talked about earlier when it comes to conversion tracking and goals being able to, to not just track that final lead behavior, you know, of filling out the form or clicking on the phone number, but being able to track some of the earlier sort of leading indicators. Uh, You know, did, uh, did a consumer create an account on the website to be able to save their favorite homes and listings. And then if they did, then maybe we know this is somebody a little bit earlier in the process and well, what can we do to support that experience? So a lot of what we're, been doing these days for a lot of builders is building a a system that sort of um, automatically helps them identify other new listings that they might be interested in right we've consumers are used to this kind of experience because they get it from like zillow and they start to the like listings and they get it from realtor.com and all of the other general brokerage websites but we've been doing a lot of uh, implementations where you know if a consumer creates an account and they like this one two three main street home and they like You know, the Green Acres community, they save these things to their favorites. That's all well and good. But if they never come back to the site to look at their favorites, it doesn't really help you, right, as a builder. It doesn't help you keep in touch with the consumer or try to keep them moving down the funnel. So we've been doing a lot of implementations that actually take that information and then use it as a way to keep in touch with the consumer. So if a consumer says, I really like Green Acres, it's a neighborhood I want to live in, but I'm not ready. Uh, Well, what we can do is we can automatically subscribe them to updates about a green acre. So when the builder uh, introduces a new spec home, if they add some new floor plans, maybe they updated some photos or added a video, uh, we can make sure that that consumer gets an email to let them know that there's some new activity related to what they've shown interest in. And then we can actually take that and expand it even further and sort of use some connections of the other data points where maybe it's not the same community, but maybe it's in the same city or the same zip code, or maybe we've got a floor plan nearby that's in the same price range. So really trying to take the website experience and the sort of the behavior that consumers are already demonstrating on the website, and how do we use that to better predict Hmm. what they're interested in and help bring them back, right? Because we spend so much money to bring people to the website, you know, sometimes it's, it's one and done. If they don't remember your name, if they don't remember anything else, if they don't see another ad. If you don't spend another two, three bucks to get them back again, you know, how is it that we can find a way to keep in touch with them with relevant marketing data, right? Like if I said, I'm interested in a community and you send me an email 10 days later that says there's a new floor plan in that community, that's not spam, right? You know, that's, a relevant piece of information. I said I was interested and you gave me something about it. And it's not from a salesperson yet, right? So we're sort of like warming this up to eventually to the point where now they can actually sort of feel comfortable reaching out and start talking to an OSC or a salesperson. These are the kind of things that I feel like is really what we see as the biggest trends is how can we how can builders use their website as a as a tool and consider it not an expense, right? The, the, the website should make them money. It should help them sell more homes than they would otherwise. You know, even if you have a baseline, okay, if you've got a generic website, you should be able to sell this X number of homes, right? But, but if you've got one that's really working for you, there should be a Delta there. It should do more business as a result of it existing and communicating with buyers who aren't quite ready to talk to a sales rep yet.
1: Yeah. No, I completely agree. And when you were talking, one of the things I had read an article recently that was talking about how millennials and teens, which teens will turn into home buyers one day, but Mm. millennials, and that's a really large group of people, but um, there more and more people are expecting a personalized experience, even from an ad perspective. Like they they actually want you to be able to give them something that's relative to their current location and their current needs mm-hmm. without having to tell you. And so circle that back around to the actual website. And I, I see us starting to make shifts where the website is starts to become a personalized experience interactive thing. Mm -hmm. So like you said, you said a great, it was a really great analogy about the homepage. You should design the homepage for the second visit, not Mm -hmm. necessarily the first. And a lot of people lose sight of that because if you're bringing everybody into your homepage from all your ads, that's probably why your bounce rates and your time (laughs) on site and all that stuff's really, really high because you're making your prospects work for it. Yeah. But if you're designing the homepage for the second, third, fourth visit, the be back, mm-hmm. you know, cause we spend tons and tons of money driving traffic to it. And then if a lot of times we just kind of drop it and we don't do mm-hmm. anything with it after the fact, yeah. but when that customer comes back, instead of it being your homepage, what if it's now dynamic content that's personalized to how they viewed and consumed the content on your actual website?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's um, absolutely hundred percent agree hundred percent agree. We've um, that is an active, um, you know, we've we've definitely uh, hear that conversation happen more and more. And we're I'm, I'm just I'm always thrilled when we talk to builders that are interested in sort of taking it to that next level. You know, we've had um, we've done some implementations where, you know, we can display different content to a user who's been back to the site more than a couple times. Right. Like so you can actually sort of even if they're not a known user. Right. So even if they're not logged in, you know, you can sort of identify if they're coming back and then maybe display a slightly different message. You know, like maybe a builder wants to, like, hold back their incentive until somebody's been back to the website three or four times. You know, that that kind of thing's possible today. Um, and, you know, and in addition to all of the other things that we talked about in terms of those dynamic recommendations in emails, those things are absolutely um components of a lot of new site developments. You know, where you are going to have, you're looking at a spec and then at the bottom, you know, it's going to say others, other homes you might like, and it's not just random, you know, it's not just, well, let's take three specs out of the 25 that the builder has, but, you know, that data can be generated based on their browsing activity, where, what zip codes have been looking in, what price points have they been looking in, square footages, and really do a good job of tailoring those things. Cause it doesn't, like you mentioned, it doesn't feel like an ad at that point. Right. It's, it's, it's
1: helpful. It's, it's supporting what they're after. So they're much more willing to accept it. Yeah. I think as you, if you keep things contextual, mm. you, you appreciate it as a consumer. I do at least. Right. Mm-hmm. I, and I even think from a homepage perspective, you know, talking about getting, you know, super dynamic content, but even having something that could be as simple but yet as authentic as if it's their if they're coming back and they hit the homepage mm-hmm. they see something that might simply just say welcome back we're glad you're here mm-hmm. y- you know like that could that's something that simple mm-hmm. could really catch somebody's attention to be like wait a minute that's really that's cool
0: yeah yeah you're right that's um that that obviously is a great direct example of a message and there's even things like um you know, examples of sort of like small personalization like that that we've done is, uh, you know, like remembering somebody's search settings or remembering that a user started, you know, if you've got a multi market builder, you know, and they're already, you know, they're only really searching in one market. If they happen, if they come back and they hit the homepage, you know, already have that market selected for them, you know, because we already know what they're interested in. They're probably not going to start looking all across the country at that point, right? So those sort of nice things are, and and they might even be completely invisible, right? Like a consumer may never realize that that's why the map was in the same place that it was when they got back, right? Or they may not realize that that's, that's why the market was already selected for them when they got back to the site. But all of those things just sort of just remove noise from the consumer experience, right? Just sort of grease the wheels and just make them more comfortable, hopefully, while the whole time they're staring at
1: your logo. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that I I find this an interesting shift in the digital realm, and this is just my opinion. Mm-hmm. But, you know, re- if you rewind, I don't know, three to five years, I, I think, you know, the the excitement, at least in our industry specifically, because it was such, and, and still is for a lot of folks, old school in a sense of, you know newspaper ads and billboards and things like that <laughs> radio spots whatever it may be mm-hmm. and and yes as long as it's the right price i think that still has it and it's the right consumer for you i think that it can still have its place um but I think the, the, the thing that people really liked build or, you know, in, in general liked about digital is it gave them, and that was the thing that we, everybody always touted, it gave them clear cut things to look for. right I could say, mm-hmm. I want to grow my new users by X. I, I shouldn't have a bounce rate higher than X. Time on site should be X. But now I feel like that is shifts now into and I just was just having this conversation yesterday with a builder and like well what what's an acceptable bounce rate? What's an accept And the answer comes back around to well, it depends exactly. <laughs> it, we, it's interesting because everything is getting more dynamic and we've gone away we've shifted away from this clear cut you need to be digital because it's really easy to see what you're doing where and where you're supposed to be and measure and now as the buyer search has become so fragmented across so many other mediums across so many different devices then they come into you from so many different angles the answer is like it depends and i feel like people get frust- can get frustrated with that but what do you think
0: i'm i'm with you man it's uh you know like they say not everything that you can measure matters um and it's the it's certainly the you know, it was the, it was what drove everybody to sort of love and promote digital, or at least made it easy for everybody to love and promote digital is the fact that we can measure it. So it's, it's much less abstract than, you know, older, more traditional marketing channels. But we we actually uh, we used to publish an annual or semi-annual report where we would talk about like average bounce rates and sort of like um, pull together analytics from all across builder sizes and you know regions and then and then come up with some of these average numbers but then we started looking at them and it's like well that's an interesting number but I'm not exactly sure what to do with that right like yeah you know when 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 you get a piece of data and you don't if it, it, there's no there's nothing actionable from it, you know. Then it really sort of loses its value. And like, I just... think
2: that's the hard part when builders are looking for benchmarks is the fact that you're in a different market. Like, there are so many variables that come into play. So those benchmarks are really just—they're not really valid.
0: Yeah, because even and then you get the difference of price point and consumers might behave differently depending upon you know what generation you might be reaching and. You know, a bounce, like, you know, we don't, we don't even like, to be honest, we, we try to avoid a conversation around bounce in general. Of course, you, of course, you can see some red flags, obviously, if you're buying a keyword and you got a 95% bounce rate, then you got a problem. But, you know, if, if uh, a home shopper is is sitting on the couch and talking to their spouse and they will be like, well, how much was that house? And then they pull it up on their phone real quick and they get right to that page, you know, cause they, they Googled the community name or the address or whatever. And they went, oh, it's it's $349,990, and then they put their phone down. That's a bounce, but it didn't – it gave the consumer exactly what they wanted. Right? right? So that's not a bad thing. So it's sort of hard to really say that bounces are bad because they're not. (laughs) They don't – they might not be at least. I mean they might,
1: but they might not.
0: And that's where you get your – it depends,
1: right? Well, yeah. I I liken it to the example of let's just say – you you know oh we're going to order pizza tonight for dinner and you grab your phone and you google your your local papa johns or whatever mm-hmm. and you see the page you click the page or or maybe now the phone number comes up in the search results and you don't even mm-hmm. click you don't even have to go to the site a whole different yeah. topic right. uh, <laughs> but let's just say you go to that one page you know what you want you don't need to look at the menu you hit dial and you dial the phone number and you call in your order that's a bounce. That's a l- super low time on site, but did the user get what they were looking for? And the answer is yes. So that was, that was a success. Yeah. Uh, and the yeah business so, got
0: what they wanted too. They got the abs- phone call. <laughs>
1: absolutely. No question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it, it the, it, 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 it's kind of a joke now, but it's like, it depends. It's like, it was <laughs> a we were looking at overall website da- data and it was like, A 48% bounce and it's like, okay, is that good or is that Mm -hmm. bad? I'm like, well, if you're, you know, if your organic traffic is a 55% bounce rate, that's probably a problem. Mm -hmm. But if the, if the, a good majority of the mix coming into your website is from paid sources and email Mm -hmm. campaign, you know, like all these other things, that's not, you know, that's not necessarily bad, you know? So yeah,
0: yeah. not atypical. So anyway, yeah, pages have gotten longer too. I mean, like it, it used to be where you would have, you know, uh, you know if you remember, we, we got way back, everybody used to be concerned about how much content was above the fold, yeah. right? Uh, that was like trying to get everything in that first screen. And you ended up with these websites that look like newspapers, everybody trying to get everything above the fold. And, yeah, and uh, that
2: was when they made people register to get any information <laughs> about pricing or plans or anything. That's
0: right. That's <laughs> right. Yes, hide it all behind the paywall, right? But um, <laughs> but there was like that that uh, idea of of like this fear if you had to say everything right up top, and so we ended up with like six and seven and eight pages for each community, which of course. You know, it, it lowered the bounce rate because for the person to be able to go click to see floor plans, they had to go to a second page. Well, now, a lot of times, this is just a one long massive page. You just keep scrolling. So that that those kind of design decisions, because we're also comfortable with swiping on mobile devices, yep. those kind of design decisions has imp- have impacted the bounce rate specs.
1: Oh, for sure, right? And mm-hmm.
2: yeah, and I, it also makes me think about the call to action because in whatever marketing. You're doing, there's always going to be a specific next step that you want the consumer to take. Mm
1: -hmm. And, you
2: know, that's what it makes me think about when you guys are talking about, you know, someone's picking up the phone and calling, um, setting those goals up front and knowing what is the action you want this person to take at this point in the website.
0: Yes and making it painfully simple for
1: them to know how to do it, right?
2: (laughs) And and that
1: ties into what we are talking about. We talked about briefly before, like the different pages of the website, the hierarchy of the site, Mm -hmm. and not all pages are created equal in the sense that, to your earlier point, the homepage is going to be designed for a be-back. So you're going to have a call to action, maybe you're going to have a phone number displayed and maybe the OSC's picture, you know, the ability for someone to find a form, but your homepage isn't filled with calls to action because it's, it's a funnel to get them into other parts of the page. And it's kind of the same way when you get into, you know, area pages and community detail pages. And that's when, at least for me, what I start to see how things should start to shift um, you know, on on the page layout and design and calls to action, deciding what you want the prospect to actually do.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Every page should have sort of a desired next step. It might have more than one, but right. but it should sort of like, well, what do we want the consumer to experience on this page? And what does the business value as the next best possible behavior?
2: When I judged the nationals, we were looking at websites and one of the criteria was, is there a call to action on every page? Mm-hmm. And I think that is just like how you're communicating with the buyer and making it exactly like you said, Dennis, making it as easy for them as possible to get to mm-hmm. that next step.
0: Yeah. Cause you because you like you said, there's so the buying cycle is is so long. It's sometimes we can know how long somebody's been there if if the site is prepared with dynamic content, but we don't always know. That could be a brand new device that we haven't tracked them on yet or they haven't logged in or something like that. So It's a challenge. It's a unique challenge to sort of support all those potential stages, but, but
1: it's possible and it pays off. For sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. Diving in, we're talking about bringing people into the site and those calls to action. You know, we, we briefly talked about how we're bringing people into core pages of the site versus into like home pages and things like that. Mm -hmm. The a topic that's all, it seems like it's always a topic. Every person Every phone call, every week, whether it's a pod, every podcast, it's all about like the topic about social media, right? Social media marketing, does it work? Mm. It, does it drive leads? You know, does it directly drive leads, I should say, is a, is a better conversation. But we talk about trends and looking at all your home builder websites mm-hmm. that you have on your platform and kind of, you know, that roll up data. What do you guys see from a social media perspective? Mm-hmm. What's happening there?
0: Yeah, a lot. Um, <laughs> it depends. <laughs> a lot. Is happening. It depends. Uh, it's a great answer. Uh, I'm going to get myself a t-shirt. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it does. Um, you know, it, it's, it's of no major headline, right? That organic uh, is getting harder and harder and harder. Um, you know, to at least, you know, try to, be able to get it to the point where you have really quantifiable value. So organic, non-paid social media activity. You know, there's there's absolutely value, and I think that it fits within any sort of overall comprehensive strategy, but um, it, it's getting harder to be able to sort of connect some of the dots because of the prevalence and the the prominence really of, of really how, you know, the monster is Facebook and how much they've really sort of prioritized sponsored active, you know, sponsored content. Yeah. You know, I I will say that when we, you know, earlier in the days of Facebook advertising, and I mean, and that that's another one that changes every 36 hours. Yeah. But we, we are seeing, we're seeing a little bit more opportunity for some, some sophisticated traffic campaigns and plans uh, using Facebook ads. You know, I'm going to go back to Facebook, but of course we could probably apply these generally to any social channel, but Facebook again is that monster. You know, a lot of the earlier Facebook ads we feel like we saw just monitoring traffic that were coming were were definitely lead oriented ads, right? So they might be retargeting, um, so so they might be more sophisticated dynamic retargeting, but at the very least they're maybe trying to bring them back to the site after they visited and they would be focused they'd bringing them to a detail page and then they'd be focused on hopefully capturing the lead. But what we're also seeing is with the builders that have a more advanced event tracking system in place, right? So in addition to just sort of tracking those bottom-of-the-funnel conversion behaviors, where we're also tracking those sort of of top-of-the-funnel desired behaviors. So again, that like favoriting, creating an account, you know, uh, researching, you know, the area with Google Maps and things like that. Something that shows a more engaged visitor, Mm -hmm. rather than somebody that's just going page to page to page. Um, Well, Facebook, one of the things that they've done in the last 18 months, um, is they've really doubled down and probably even more than that on their pixel activity. So the Facebook pixel, and now of course, they have Facebook analytics, which I don't know if it will be Ever completely a competitor to Google Analytics, but it does have some interesting data that it can give you because obviously Facebook knows a lot about its users. But what we're seeing by using the pixels and and sending some of these earlier behaviors into the Facebook pixel, you can uh, we're seeing campaigns that can be targeted to people that are higher up the funnel too. So you know if you if you oversimplify and say you've got a two stage funnel, which of course it's it's the journey is longer than that, but You can target uh, a lead-oriented, you know, much more maybe data-driven ad uh, about a price or community or a zip code or a grand opening or something like that, uh, or closeout. You can target that ad with that creative and that message towards the people who are at the bottom of the funnel. And then you can have a different ad, different copy, different creative, different message, targeted towards the people who have been to your site but maybe you're just showing some of those early behaviors so i'd say one of the most exciting things that i've seen is because of this additional data and because that facebook gives us the ability to share this uh, we're, we're sort of seeing these more sophisticated campaigns as opposed to just a general please come look at my spec for sale and don't forget to fill out the contact form yeah you know, like it's, um, so that to me, that's exciting to be able to see us use some of this sophisticated data that Facebook has and make marketing better.
1: Yeah. What's, what's really neat about how the, the pixel is working is you can essentially create your own lack of a better term funnel inside of Facebook, top, middle, and Mm -hmm. bottom of funnel type ads, all based on the behavior with that the person had, right. If it's, they click on a top of funnel ad and they go to your website, then you can, you can re, retarget to them something that's more middle or bottom, you know, and just create that essentially own silo within one single platform.
0: Yeah. And you can almost like give them a little carrot for each, each one, right? Cause in, in Facebook, you can, you can create an audience based out of people who visited your site and did behavior a, and you can set up the campaign targeted toward conversion B so you can sort of pull them down into the next level and then you yep. can have a campaign that targets audiences that, you know, already did B, but now you want to pull That's them right. down to C. So it's sort of like you can just like lead them, breadcrumbs, all the way down into the lead. It's exciting. <laughs> Nerd. Yeah, um, I get it. That's exciting to me, right? It's like the, the possibilities are just so cool. It's creepy when you talk to consumers who have no idea what's happening in the background. But, you know, as a as a marketer, and a nerd, it's amazing. It's really amazing. I love how
2: you own the nerdiness. I love it. Totally one of the things I, totally. I had a, a mm-hmm. final question, just you know, Matt and I are so different. And that's part of why we started this podcast is just to have mm-hmm. different perspectives. And mm-hmm. um, you know, we both have different reasons for why we love our industry and why we are passionate every day. I'm curious, like, what is Dennis O'Neill's, like, what is the one thing that is, is your big passion? Like, you talked about a lot of different things, social media, data, websites, sales, like, what is the one thing that gets you, like, that you absolutely love?
0: Uh, yeah, you know, that, that is, whew, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> And I will admit that I, it's one of the hardest, personally speaking, it's one of the hardest questions for me to answer. There are, There are so many different things that I love, which is sort of, I I recognize sometimes I'll have somebody look at me a little weird when I'll go, we'll go from a conversation around some kind of nerdy data point marketing technology speak, and then we'll go over and we'll talk about design and then we'll go over and we'll talk about sales and, you know, the, the, you know, consumer mindset. I'd say probably what, 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 I guess really what I am most excited about is beautiful, engineering Hmm. and and i think that that's and again i guess you could almost argue that that's two things right but but i love something that you know simplicity is really complicated Uh (laughs) like to create something that is just all struck gorgeous when you're standing in front of it and it's amazing Everything that goes behind it to get to that point is, is incredibly difficult and complicated. It's, I've had a lifelong love of architecture. I thought that I was going to be an architect um, way back when in high school, right? So I can stand outside and, and stare at a building forever, and my wife will constantly pull my hand and say, let's go, it's time to go. (laughs) Um, But when I look at that, and I just think of the the design work and the planning that went into engineering something that I'm now being able to experience something just beautiful. That's what I feel like I'm most motivated by. And while I'm, you know, here, you know, we're not creating buildings, we're, we're helping others be able to choose the lifelong place that they live. And hopefully find just as much inspiration in the home that they're in, and in our way, we get to take this little sort of corner of the experience, and hopefully engineer some amazingly powerful, beautiful experiences. It's
2: a big corner, not a little corner. Yeah,
0: you're right. You're right. <laughs> we we just have a like that. Um, well, yeah, we've got that that portion of the experience where we're hopefully gonna be able to make some positive impact in a lot of consumers lives and then obviously support our builders and everybody that works for them and help their families have great lives too so it's just a it's a the industry is fantastic in terms of the number of people that we get to touch and interact with and the number of consumers that get impacted by everything the building industry does it's it's pretty
1: incredible yeah absolutely very good all right I'm gonna let's, let's put a bow on this thing and ask some let's ask <laughs> some fun questions not related to anything. I'm totally stealing this from a conversation mm. that Molly and I have with somebody else. So I'm gonna ask <laughs> you th- three questions. Mm. What podcasts are you listening to? Oof. What are you binge watching and then what what are you reading right now?
0: All right, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably um, be disappointing with my first answer. <laughs> I actually don't listen to that many podcasts. Um, almost none. Um, I know that's a bad thing for me to say on a podcast. I You're swear,
2: gonna listen to this one. I,
1: there's, that's all right. I,
0: it's just uh, for whatever reason, it's never. I've not been able to sort of get myself in the habit. I enjoy them every time I watch them, but uh, or listen to me watch here. That's the wrong word there. Maybe that's my problem. I'm expecting the screen. To that's be. right. But uh, so unfortunately, I don't have any good answers for that one. That's all right. But binge watching. Uh, I'm on. I just started uh, season four of Billions on showtime you guys ever watched that i've not seen that Uh -uh. write it down Uh, it's it's a fantastic show it's paul giamatti is the only name that i can think of that's in there and it's sort of a new york state's attorney and like billionaire hedge funds and it's just a lot of very sort of political maneuvering and strategy that goes into it it's just a great show great show that's cool and um right now i'm actually i'm reading a winston churchill bio he's um he's an amazing character fantastic speaker incredible storyteller yeah and um i'm I've just started it. I think I'm 100 pages into a 700-page bio. But biographies have really been sort of my thing lately, I feel like, you know, other than some other philosophical texts, texts I could throw in there. But uh, normally, that's my topics of choice, that kind of thing. But I
2: would not have guessed that for the reading list. That's really interesting. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. You know, I'm not a, um, I'm not a fiction reader. Like, I've never um, – I could probably read it. My, my fear would be that I would get too – deep into fiction reading and then be like, I wouldn't learn enough from it. Right. (laughs) So that's like, I, the, I feel like I should always, I want to always be absorbing new perspectives and new ideas and sort of thinking about things that I haven't thought about before change the way that I'm thinking. And fiction doesn't, at least I don't think it'll do that for me. So I'll go back and forth. sometimes I read two or three books at a time depending When one gets on my nerves. You know, like if it bores me for a little bit, you know, like there's a slow chapter. Right. Um, I read another one recently that I'll throw out there. That's a great book. It's called "The Book of the Long," or excuse me, "The Clock of the Long Now." Okay. So, talking about beautiful engineering, I know we were probably these are probably supposed to be short three questions. (laughs) No, I love (laughs) it. The Clock of the Long Now is a project of a clock that is being built inside a mountain in West Texas. It was started by a nonprofit group that eventually formed, but they started in the '90s. And the group was really talking about how our current pace of knowledge and current pace of technology is really out, it's outpacing our ability to sort of know it, right? Huh. Just talking about the speed of life, the speed of human experience and how quickly it's going. And they were talking about this in the 90s, right? So clearly we're at a whole different level of speed today. right? But they've raised money and they're building a clock in a mountain, they've got a site set for a second one already, but the clock itself is designed to move and tick and ring for 10,000 years. And there's a certain chime that goes off, but only once every thousand years. And there's a certain chime that goes off on a day and a week and a month and a year. And it's just such an interesting concept about, you know, how we don't, we don't really think that long. And right? we think about, you know, you think about maybe the Colosseum in Rome and you think about the pyramids in Egypt. And when those cultures were building those things, you know, they were thinking a hundred generations into the future or more. And we don't really think with that kind of distance. Right. And the clock of the long now talks about sort of the conversations that led this group up to creating this foundation and eventually designing the clock and You know, they've got a very interesting mission and it's the book, of course, is not just about the foundation, but it talks so much about sort of what motivated them to even get started. And it changes it's, you know, I liked it because it changed my perspective on how I think about time. It's incredible. No,
1: that's awesome. I have to check that out. I found that stuff interesting. Awesome. All right, Dennis. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We got to nerd out and talk about data and web. Mm -hmm. And then we got to talk about engineering and architecture and philosophy. And I mean, we just covered the gamut
2: today.
0: Mm, we did all over the board, all <laughs> over the board. It's been, uh, been lots of fun. Thanks so much guys for having me on the show.
2: Thank you, Dennis.
1: All right. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Dennis, it was great to have you on and we learned a ton. I love the concept of slowing people down and uh, we love chatting with you today.
1: Absolutely packed full of great information. So that was that was really great. All right, guys, that is going to do it for us this week. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And we hope that you'll join us on another episode of Building Perspective. Just remember, you can join the conversation with us on our Facebook group, Building Perspective. Feel free to ask questions. We chime in. Maybe we'll get one read on the show and answered on the show. So uh, always fun. We love to keep the engagement going and uh, really look forward to it. Thanks again.
2: It's been fun building perspective together and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Have a great week.